This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Just a quick note before we start. This is our last episode for Season 1 of Breakfast. Thank you for listening, and we really hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, please take a moment to give us a five-star review. And please invite your friends to Breakfast as well. It helps us spread the word. We'll keep you posted on our social media for news about season two. And now, here's our season finale. Hi, everyone. I'm Father Gravy, and this is the Breakfast Podcast. About a year ago, I was sitting outside with the producers of this show, having a glass of wine, and they raised the possibility of doing a podcast. It was not something I had ever considered, and I was pretty reluctant at first. A major reason for that reluctance is the sheer volume of voices. There are just so many podcasts, blogs, YouTube channels on every conceivable topic that I didn't want to add to the noise. How would this be different from what's already out there? We were throwing around different possibilities and started talking about how much the Catholic Church has influenced our culture often in ways that people don't even realize. I brought up the word breakfast. Did you know it's a Catholic word? Up until pretty recently, Catholics had to fast from midnight if they were going to receive communion in the morning. So they'd go to an early mass, and then afterwards, at the first meal of the day, they could break fast. So that became the unlikely name for this podcast. It's not obviously Catholic, but then so aren't a lot of things that we talk about. It's kind of quirky and fun and maybe a way for people to learn something about the faith in a way they weren't expecting. It's why this season has a theme of food and drink. It's a feast of faith, coming from a place of spiritual hunger. We talked about other examples of these sort of fun facts, of the way that the church has influenced our culture in surprising ways. In many Catholic countries, New Year's Day used to be celebrated on March 25th, the Feast of the Annunciation. That's when the angel Gabriel announced to Mary that she was to be the mother of God. In 1582, Pope Gregory XIII introduced the revised Gregorian calendar, replacing the Julian calendar, which dated back to Julius Caesar. This new calendar included leap years to correct a number of inaccuracies and also moved New Year's Day to January 1st. Why? Well, eight days after birth, Jewish boys were taken to be circumcised and formally named. Eight days after the birth of Jesus, Christmas, is January 1st. So New Year's Day itself is a Catholic holiday. But when the calendar changed, some people forgot and were still celebrating New Year's not just on March 25th, but even for the eight-day festival that followed. By the time those eight days were up on April 1st, the people who were still forgetting were called April Fools, also from the church. How about Sushi Tempura? When Portuguese missionaries came to Japan, they brought with them the various times of fasting throughout the year, when they couldn't eat meat. Not just on Fridays or during Lent, but for a few days each season as well. These days were called in Latin the Quattorani Tempora, 
the four seasons of the year. So they deep-fried vegetables and fish and called it tempura, the seasonal dish. There are other holidays too that we could look at. We celebrate All Saints Day on November 1st. Another word for saints or holy ones is hallows. We hear this word nowadays only in the Our Father, hallowed or holy be thy name. Some old English churches are named All Hallows or All Saints. The evening before All Saints is All Hallows Eve, when we prepare to commemorate those who have died. You've probably figured out that that's where Halloween comes from. Nowadays, a lot of people don't even realize that Valentine's Day is actually Saint Valentine's Day, the feast day of a Roman priest in the early church who was killed for blessing the marriages of Catholic couples. Now, we might say, okay, this is all more or less interesting trivia, but why does it matter? What's the point? Well, in a word, culture. Culture is one of those things that's difficult to define, but it's all the ways in which a people expresses itself. The customs and food, the art and the music, the beliefs and the practices that make a people distinct. Here's an important common denominator, though. Most things we associate with culture don't have a practical purpose. Think about it. Paintings and music and poetry, they don't actually do anything in a quantifiable way. It's not like building roads or bridges or hauling freight or any of the other activities upon which an economy depends. Work is what we do for something else, for some further end. We pave a road so cars can drive on it, so that people and goods can get to where they need to go in order to earn money and feed a family but we paint a picture simply to give beauty to the world. It's the difference between food as a commodity and food as cuisine. The commodity is nutrition, the staples we need to survive. The cuisine is what makes food enjoyable, the artistic instead of the scientific. So what does all this have to do with Catholicism? Well, everything. The word culture comes from the Latin root meaning to cultivate or till the land, to develop and grow. But its root also comes from the word cultus, or cult. We think of cults in a creepy sense, Kool-Aid and Waco and all that. In its original meaning, though, it means worship in general, basically another word for religion. In other words, religion lies at the heart of culture. The poet T.S. Eliot once wrote that culture is the incarnation of a religion, how a people's beliefs find expression in any number of tangible ways. I want to highlight three essentials of culture, each one leading to the other, that bind it to religion. The first of these is gratuitousness. God didn't have to create anything. He is all-perfect and completely self-sufficient. He lacks nothing. But he chose to create. Angels and men, the planets and stars, mountains and rivers. Not because he had to, but because he wanted to. All of it flows from the overabundance of his love and his desire to make beautiful things. When we create, we also add order and beauty to the world and come closer to God. After all, we live in an ordered universe with laws that govern it because it reflects the mind of its creator. 
A million chimpanzees sitting in front of typewriters for a million years will never produce Hamlet. And the arts reflect this to the highest degree because they participate in the creativeness of the creator. So poetry is the beautiful ordering of words, as art is of image and music of sound. This is why Dante called art the grandchild of God. God created us and we create art. Just as you can see a resemblance between a grandchild and his grandparent, so too art should lead one to God himself. Culture participates in the free gift of creation that delights not in the necessary, but in the beautiful. We experience this in sublime moments, when hearing a piece of music, for example, that takes us out of ourselves and onto a higher plane. But in order to experience that, we need to pause and rest. Here's the second aspect of culture. I mentioned earlier certain holidays. They're part of this too. The days that a people recognizes as important enough to stop everything else. The very word holiday is at root religious. It means holy day. We think of the major holidays of the year, both religious and civic, Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving and the 4th of July. They punctuate our year and give life a rhythm. For Catholics, though, there's a holiday every week. Every Sunday is, or ought to be, a holiday. We often think of Sunday as the day when we're supposed to go to church, and that's true. But there's more to the story. We call Sunday the Lord's Day, not just the Lord's Hour. The whole day is set aside for Him. That doesn't mean we're supposed to be in church praying all day. But it does mean that Sunday should be different, not like every other day. It's a day for rest and leisure, for family and friends, for enjoying the good things that life has to offer. That pause also belies the common misperception that culture is an elitist thing, for the leisure class and the educated few. In fact, it's the most egalitarian thing around. Sundays and holidays allow everyone a day of rest, not just those who can afford one. A prince and a pauper can walk into the same church admire the same paintings and sculptures, hear the same music. They might appreciate it in different ways, but they both recognize the objective beauty and are ennobled by it. Culture lifts us up and makes us better because it taps into our noblest instincts and draws us closer to the Creator. Culture calls us to stop doing and enjoy living. But why this day of rest? Well, worship. This is the third aspect of culture and the point of it all. When Moses asked Pharaoh to let the Israelites go, he wasn't at first asking for freedom. He was asking for one day a week when the Israelites could offer worship to God. The Sunday rest is first and foremost for God. And worship is the ultimate example of culture because it serves no further end. It is simply good in itself. In fact, it's the clearest foretaste of heaven, when we will all be worshiping God for eternity. We can't think of that as some never-ending church service that drones on and on. No, it will be pure ecstasy. In heaven, there's no work because nothing needs to get done. It's like a big party. All the work and setup is finished, and now we simply enjoy the good company, the beautiful decorations, the delicious food, 
not because we're hungry, but because it just tastes so good. We have to be careful, though. It can sound as if culture is a luxury, sort of like the icing on the cake, a nice bonus, but hardly essential. But that's a dangerous path to go down. Because if religion elevates culture, its absence has the opposite effect. T.S. Eliot elsewhere wrote that without religion, a society heads toward destruction. That might sound strange or exaggerated, until we consider Eliot's reasoning. All politics, all public policy, is ultimately a question of ethics, of right and wrong behavior. And ethics only has meaning insofar as it's grounded in God. In our post-Christian society, we often forget this point or disregard it. But that's where the danger lies. Take a concept like human dignity. We sort of assume that every human being has dignity, has certain rights, like the right to life. But why? Who says another human being has any dignity at all? Why should we all just take this for granted? We as Catholics would say that humans have dignity because they are all created in the image and likeness of God, having an eternal soul. But if someone doesn't believe that, and adopts an atheistic view of the universe and a materialistic view of man, then it becomes rather difficult to justify human dignity. There can be other reasons not to harm someone, for example, because I don't want to be harmed in return, or end up in jail, or thought poorly of. But these are all practical calculations. It's not because harming someone is wrong in itself. In fact, we ask, why be good at all? What is the good? What is truth? I would argue that the less religious a society is, the uglier it becomes. Look at those dark periods of history when religion has been banned altogether. Take the French Revolution, for example. For all the rhetoric of a brotherhood of mankind, the reign of terror was not very brotherly. The desire to create and build up became instead a desire to kill and destroy. Priests and nuns were executed in large part because they were considered to serve no practical purpose. Their work didn't make anything, and so they were a drain on the state. Again, we see that materialistic worldview showing its ugly consequences. In the last century, we had the scourge of Soviet communism. If you visit some of the towns that the Soviets built all over Russia and Eastern Europe, they almost suck out your soul. The buildings have no beauty or character at all. Everything is pure functionality to maximize production. The workers' paradise was pretty hellish. We have to guard against the opposite extreme, though. There's the inherent threat in a capitalist society as well to filter everything through a materialist lens. We can easily fall into the trap of basing our worth and that of others on wealth and possessions, always trying to acquire more and never quite having enough. Both communism and capitalism can reduce man simply to a means of production, whose dignity comes not from God, but from what he can make or how much he can make. But the most important things in life are those that can't be measured and weighed and counted. How do you quantify love, or beauty, or goodness? In short, culture humanizes us and gives our life the balance it needs. We work during the week in order to enjoy the Sunday rest. We work during the year to enjoy the holidays. We fast in order to feast. 
The revelry of Mardi Gras gives way to the sobriety of Lent, followed by the joy of Easter. The important thing is not to lose sight of what's most important. Feast days force us to slow down and reprioritize, to savor the good things that God's creation offers us. Now, it might seem like all of this has very little to do with Catholicism, but nothing could be farther from the truth. If religion is at the heart of culture, then the closer a religion is to the truth, the higher its culture will be. Why? Because it's better able to incarnate the God who is truth and goodness and beauty. That expression of food and song and costume and holidays will look a little different or a lot different in every people and nation. They're all wonderful variations on a theme, different ways of depicting the one true God. In the end, religion and culture are like the air we breathe. We're not always aware of it, but our life and the health of society depends on it. Too often we try to confine religion to the four walls of a church and an hour a week, but that's not how it works. If I can badly paraphrase Dirty Dancing, nobody puts Catholicism in a corner because it's all-encompassing. All of creation comes from God, was redeemed by God, and is marked by God. Catholicism is a religion about reality because it's the most real thing there is. So yes, religion is about sacraments and prayer and Christmas and Easter, but it's also about April Fools and Sushi Tempura, about Michelangelo and Mozart, about the Canterbury Tales and the Divine Comedy, about champagne and grasshoppers, about wine that becomes the blood of Christ and wine shared with friends. All of it is a gift from God who made this beautiful world. And all of it leads us to Him, leads us to heaven, when the long night is over and we can finally break fast forever. <laughs>